Good morning. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. I want to greet all of you who are here and those of you joining us by video in Traditions, the gallery, Upper House, downtown, those of you in Fitchburg, and those of you watching online or those of you listening to our podcast. Uh, to the Chinese speakers in our congregation, uh, to everyone, welcome to Blackhawk Church. We're very glad you're here. This is the fourth sermon uh, in our series about relationship that we have, and the series is called It's Complicated, because our relationships are complicated. Now, back in the very first sermon of the series, Pastor Chris explained to us that we were created to be in relationship with God and with other people. It's what we're created to do. It's what we're born for. I mean, we thrive when we have relationships. The problem Well, humans rebelled against God, and that damaged our relationship with God, with each other, and with the physical world around us. We became broken people living in a broken world. We hurt each other. A book came out many years ago. It's called The The Delicate Art of Dancing with Porcupines. And the subtitle says, Learning to Appreciate the Finer Points of Others. (laughs) Yeah, I get it, okay. Uh, I'm not recommending this book. I've never read the book. I've just always loved the title and the cover, right? I think the image of porcupines doing the tango really captures the human dilemma, right? We yearn for relationships. We yearn for intimacy. I mean, it's one of our deepest hungers. And yet, when we get close to each other, ow! And so we yo-yo. We get close, and then we bounce back. It's complicated. And so many of us struggle with loneliness. uh, Pastor Michael Napstad did a great sermon on loneliness a few weeks back. If you missed it, go back and catch it on our website. Last week, Pastor Matt talked about how we try to get close to each other, but we don't want to get hurt. So what do we do? We put on masks, right? We put on masks. We put our guards up. We hide our true selves so we don't get hurt. Now, what's wrong with that? Well... We don't experience authentic relationships. We don't truly know, and we're not truly known. Some of us are so adept at wearing masks that we ourselves don't know our true selves. And so Pastor Matt challenges us to take off our masks. And the problem with taking off our masks, the problem with letting our guards down, ow, right? To strive to live in authentic relationships is to make the choice of becoming vulnerable to being hurt by other people. That's our reality, right? And so when the inevitable happens, when somebody hurts us, when somebody do something wrong against us, what do we do? That leads us to the topic for today, forgiveness. Now, the Bible teaches forgiveness. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. And frankly, it is part, the part of the Bible that gets almost no pushback from our culture, right? Jesus teaches forgiveness. Mental health professionals say, that's a good idea. And people in the culture say, yeah, forgiveness is a good thing. There's nobody out there going, well, forgiveness is evil. You should never do that, right? That doesn't happen. Because if you never forgive, you will be one lonely porcupine. <laughs> so we know we should forgive, but we have questions, right? Like, what exactly is forgiveness? Do we have to do forgiveness? Is it required? Do I have to forgive and forget? And if so, how do I forget? 
right? Do I have to be friends with that person? What if that person isn't sorry? What if they keep on doing it? These kinds of questions have been around forever. They go as far back as 2,000 years ago when Jesus' disciples, his followers, asked him about these kind of questions. Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now you notice Peter comes knowing that you should forgive. Jesus was not the first person to teach forgiveness. The Jewish rabbis taught about forgiveness. No, Peter's question is not about whether you should forgive. It's about how far you should go, right? It's a question of how to practice forgiveness. And in this case, it's the problem of repeat offenders. We all have people in our lives like that, right? People who say things and do things that just put us down and make us feel horrible, right? People in our family, people in our workplace, people in our class, people in our friend group, people even in church. You know, with just a look, a glance, a gesture, a word, and, and when we tell them to stop, they're like, oh, I'm just kidding around. Why are you so serious? And they keep on doing it. And Peter's like, you know, Jesus, there's got to be a limit to this forgiveness thing, okay? There's got to be a limit. How about seven? And, Peter's, and Jesus is like, mm, not seven, 77. And actually, the Greek can be translated as 70 times seven, which is then 490. <laughs> now, I'm pretty sure Jesus isn't wanting us to keep tabs, okay? Huh, there's another one, George. Mm. You know what? Wow, you just hit 389, Georgie. One more. One more, buddy. Any Georges in the room, I apologize. Just first name popped in my head. Uh, but surely Jesus does not want us to carry a bunch of black books around, right? Keeping tracks of everybody who sinned against us. You know, actually today we wouldn't use black books. We'd probably use our smartphones. There's probably an app for that. Like, you know, Grudge Tracker 3.0, right? <laughs> Automatic text notification when somebody's getting close to 490. <laughs> no, no, no. No, what Jesus is saying is this. Okay? There are no limits to the time you forgive someone when they sin against you repeatedly. And we hear that, we go, oh, Jesus, come on, seriously, why? And to answer that, Jesus tells a story. Therefore, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And we need to stop right here because you guys aren't laughing. Now, I, I don't want to put a guilt trip on you guys, but Jesus died on the cross for us. The least you can do is laugh at his jokes. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> no, I was kidding. Um, but Jesus is trying to be funny here. Jesus is being funny. Uh, the, we don't get it because, you know, the Bible's not written to us, but for us. Uh, the joke is right here. Um, the servant owes the, the king 10,000 bags of gold. Now, the, now that's hilarious. Um, why? Well, because... First thing, the, the Greek doesn't say 10,000 bags of gold. The Greek says 10,000 talentone. Now, what is talentone? Talentone is a unit of measure, a weight measure. Okay, this is how they talk about money back then. They use silver, and they talk about the amount of silver. And 10,000 talentone is hilarious because it's roughly 220 tons of silver, which in today's price is about $125 million, which doesn't even come close to what Jesus is getting at. 
because back then silver was worth, was worth much more relative to other things. So other calculation would peg the price at around $3.5 billion in today's terms. Other people go even further. They say 10,000 talentone exceeds the annual GDP of the entire Roman Empire. We're talking about over $25 billion. All right, let's try that again. Verse 24, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him $25 billion <laughs> was brought to him. Let's keep going. And uh, since he was not able to pay, duh, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. <laughs> the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, the first thing I want us to notice about this story is that this is not a parable about money. This is a parable about forgiveness. Remember, Peter was asking questions about forgiveness, how to do it. And then Jesus chooses to talk about money to help him understand forgiveness. Why does he do that? Well, Jesus is getting at something very critical here, and that is this. When somebody hurts us, when somebody do wrong against us, it feels like an imbalance is created. It feels like a debt is created. It feels like somebody owes us a debt, and that debt sits there until something happens, right? Something has to be done. Maybe I go and hurt them back, or, or, or maybe something bad happens to them that really feels like it's a punishment, or they have to do something to make things right. Maybe they'll apologize, maybe they'll change their behavior. They have to do something. Because otherwise, if nothing happens, the debt sits there and it manifests as anger, as resentment, a festering sore on our heart. And all of this flows out of our innate sense of right and wrong, innate sense of fairness. And so this is why Jesus uses money to talk about forgiveness. He says it's just more clear. When somebody hurts you or do wrong against you, it feels like they owe you a debt. And your sense of right and wrong makes it very hard to let it go without it being paid back. Well, then what is forgiveness? Verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Forgiveness is to cancel the debt. Forgiveness is to make the decision and say, there's nothing owed. There's nothing owed. There is no more debt. There is no more imbalance. Now, one more thing to notice from this passage. What is the source of that forgiveness? Where does forgiveness come from? The servant's master took pity on him. Pity is the source of forgiveness. Forgiveness is an act of mercy we offer to people who owe us. Robert N. Wright is the founder of International Forgiveness Institute. He is a professor of counseling psychology here at UW-Madison. As a Christ follower, he has been teaching, researching, and writing about forgiveness his entire career. He's a world-renowned expert. And so we rely on him to help us understand what is forgiveness and what is not forgiveness. So here is what is forgiveness. When people hurt us, that's wrong. Okay? It's unjust, it's unfair. As a result, we have a right to feel angry. 
We have a right to feel resentment. That is a moral right that flows from out of our deep-seated commitment to fairness and justice. It's supposed to be there. You know, many of us, you know, we, we, we're, we're taught to, to never acknowledge that we've been hurt. Like we're supposed to be tough and invulnerable, right? But that's just a mask we put on. To live authentically, we actually have to be able to say, wow, that hurt me. And we have a right to feel hurt. And forgiveness then is to cancel the debt. Forgiveness is a decision to willingly give up the right to feel anger and resentment and to instead offer compassion. Forgiveness is an act of mercy. So when somebody hurts us, when somebody does wrong against us, we have a right to feel anger and resentment and forgiveness is then to say, I'm giving that up. I'm giving up that right. It is compassion. It is mercy. That's forgiveness. Now let's talk briefly about what forgiveness is not. First, forgiveness does not condone what happened. And this is really important to know. When you forgive someone, it doesn't somehow make what happened to you right. Uh-uh. What happened to you was wrong, is wrong, will always be wrong. Forgiveness does not condone what happened. Number two, forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Oh, we hear this phrase, forgive and forget all the time. And we end up thinking, oh, forgiveness includes forgetting. No, it does not. Because forgetting would involve somehow pretending that nothing happened. Okay? And, and Pastor Matt talked about living authentically last, last week, right? To live authentically does not mean living in pretense. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Let me flesh that out what that means. First, forgiveness does not mean trust. Forgiveness is mercy, trust is earned. If somebody lies to you, if somebody steals from you, forgiving them does not mean you trust them because that would be stupid. <laughs> they have to earn your trust. They have to prove themselves trustworthy. Forgiveness <clears throat> does not mean no consequences. A few years back, my wife and I were the victims of a financial crime. We've caught the guy. And I was working through my, my, my views about forgiving and whether I should press charges or not. And I came to a, a Blackhawk elder, a, a wise man who gave me great advice. He said, look, forgiving him does not mean he gets off scot-free because the society needs to be protected from this person. And so my giving up my anger and resentment does not mean he faces no consequences for his actions. Those two things are not connected. So we forgave him and he went to prison. Those two things do not conflict. One more. And this is a hard one. It's an important one. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Now let me be clear. Usually reconciliation is a good thing. And forgiveness is usually the first step toward reconciliation. But there are times when reconciliation is not only not possible, it's not desirable. And the prime example of that is an abusive relationship. And anybody who can hear my voice right now, okay, I want you to hear this. If you think you might be in, in an abusive relationship, talk to somebody. Talk to a trusted friend. Talk to a counselor. If you're here at Blackhawk Church, talk to somebody in the care ministry, and they will refer you to a Christian counselor. Talk to somebody. Get good advice. 
But what you need to hear right now absolutely is this. Forgiveness does not mean you go back and be abused again and again and again. That is not what forgiveness means. That is not what Jesus is teaching. Get that out of your head. Forgiveness does not mean you have to be in relationship with that person. Finally, and this is kind of a hard one too. Forgiveness is not bargaining or negotiation. Sometimes we use forgiveness as a tool. Right? If you do X, Y, Z, I'll forgive you. Right? We're, we use forgiveness to control people. But no, forgiveness is an act of mercy. The, the other person, it's not about them deserving it in any way. Okay? So give up the idea of using forgiveness to control. Now, now let, me, let me flip this around to help us ex- to understand it better, because I think it's hard to understand this part. Okay? The person who hurt us does not get to dictate if we forgive them or not. Do you see that? The person who hurt us does not get to control whether we forgive them or not. We choose to forgive or not to, cho- not to forgive. That's our choice. We have the power. We have the agency, regardless of what that person do or say. Okay. So forgiveness does not mean bargaining or negotiation. Okay. So if we move forward, some of us are probably thinking, okay, well, if forgiveness is an act of mercy, and it's not about justice, why forgive? Right? Why forgive? Why not demand what is right? Why not demand to be paid back? Why not demand to get even? Good question. Let's keep going with the story. But when that servant went out from meeting with the king, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Okay, so we moved out of mercy and now we're into fairness, right? right. So the servant leaves the king's uh, uh, office. Let's call him servant one. He runs into servant two. Servant two owes servant one a hundred pieces of silver, which is roughly a hundred days wages. So Let's say you're in the shoes of servant one. I want you to think about right now how much, if you, work, if, you work, if you have a job, how much money you earn in about five months. Okay? Go ahead and think about that right now. Just do a calculation. Do you have that figure in your head? Okay? Now that's how much somebody owes you. Ooh. For, some of it, for many of us, like, wow, that's a big chunk of change. That's some real money. And it's not like we're flush. It's not like, you know, we have money to throw around. We have debts, we have mortgages, we have student loans, right? So here's the question. Does servant one have a right to that money? Right? Yeah. Servant two owes him the money. He has a right to it. It's a matter of fairness, right? He should be able to give the money back. Well, what about him throwing him into prison? That's not very cool. Well, that was just how things were done in the first century, right? That's justice first century style. You put somebody in prison, their family members, their relatives, their friends, they all get together, they chip in, they pay the debt, and then the guy's out. That's how it was done. So, does servant one do something wrong? What do you think? Let's keep going with the story. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called a servant in. 
You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had, have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. The king is furious. But let's get back to fairness. The servant won't break any rules. Right? No, he didn't break any rules. Servant two owes him money. Throwing him in prison was how it was done back then. He didn't break any rules, so what's the problem? What does servant one do wrong? Verse 33. The king says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Shouldn't you, been mer- shouldn't you have been merciful? Shouldn't you be like me? See, that's one of the key of the story, the key moment of the story right there. Okay. You see, when the king erased $25 billion of debt, he actually created a new imbalance. He created a new debt. And what is this debt? It's a debt of mercy. The king wants his mercy replicated. He wants those he forgives to forgive. So that answers the question, why do we forgive? Because we have been forgiven. And the debt we used to owe is beyond our comprehension. Now, for some of you, that raises all kinds of questions, all kinds of problems. Right? First, first and foremost, wait a minute. I thought forgiveness is a choice. I thought forgiveness is an act of mercy we offer to other people. What happened? Now it does feel like forgiveness is an obligation. It feels like now we have to forgive, especially the final verse of this passage where Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That sounds like a threat. <laughs> Doesn't it? Right? So Jesus, if I don't forgive... Does that mean God will not forgive me? No, no, of course not. God's forgiveness is unconditional. So what does Jesus mean by that? This is how my heavenly father would treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. We need to go back to the story because we only read half of it. We've been reading the story from the perspective of the person doing the forgiving. You know, the king Servant one. What we need to do is to read the story from the perspective of the person being forgiven. So servant number one, he owes the king $25 billion. Can you imagine living under the pressure of that debt? Forget about interest payments, oh my gosh. <laughs> the pressure, the weight that's on him. And he's like, oh no, no, I've been called into a meeting with the king. The moment that he's been dreading for years is now finally here. And he goes in and he gets the bad news and it's the worst news possible. The king says, I'm selling you and your family into slavery. Oh no, no, please, no, don't do this to me. Please, please give me time. I will pay it all back, I promise. No, he won't. (laughs) But it doesn't matter because the king erases the debt. Now put yourself into the shoes of servant one at this point. What would you be feeling? If it were me, I'd be like, wait, did I hear correctly? Did you just say what you said? (laughs) This 
is amazing. This is incredible. This is the greatest day of my life. This pressure, this weight is off me. I feel like I'm flying. I am floating out of his office. I'm floating downstairs. I go down there. There's another servant. I grab and I go, oh, this is the greatest day of my life. I'm so excited. I can't tell, I can't tell you what happened. And the guy's pushing me aside and go, don't worry, don't worry. I will pay it back. And I'm like, wait, what? Oh, that's right. You owe me money. You don't forget it. You don't owe me a cent. Get out of here. And I run outside and I'm giving hugs to everybody in the street. All right? That's the expected response. That's the natural response. But that does not happen. Instead, think of it, think of what actually happens. Right? Servant number one. I'm so excited. This is an amazing day. I'm so happy. I'm floating. I'm flying. I'm floating down the stairs. I'm going down there. I'm running to a servant. I grab it and I go, give me my money. <laughs> no, that can't happen. People don't do that, right? Our minds don't shift like that. So the only way to explain this is that somehow servant number one didn't get it. Servant number one didn't experience it. He didn't have that soak into him that he's been forgiven. And that's the second key to the story. The servant knows he's been forgiven, but he does not experience his forgiveness. If he just had a natural reaction, he would have been just fine. But somehow, it does not sink in. And so here's the spiritual truth. The experience of forgiveness from God empowers us to forgive others. And the greater the extent of our experience of his forgiveness, the greater our capacity to forgive others. Which is another way of saying that our relationship problems with people begins with our relationship problems with God. And some of us have big problems. Some of us, we get that God is a God of love, God of mercy, but deep down right here, he is an angry judge. He's a cruel taskmaster who's forcing us to follow every rule, and he's out to get us. And if you see God that way, you're going to have a hard time forgiving other people. Many Christ followers, we, we live with such guilt. We feel like God is angry with us, and he's hanging on to that anger. He's out to get us. We need to experience grace. We need to experience forgiveness. That's what Jesus is telling us in the story. The servant, he was forgiven, but he doesn't experience the forgiveness. So what happens? He ends up in prison. He ends up in prison. When God forgives us, this is what he says to us. My child, I want you to live a life that is transformed by my mercy. I want you to experience the freedom, the release, the joy that comes from complete unconditional forgiveness. And I want that to be the wellspring of your life that shapes and colors everything you say and do every day of your life. And when we do not choose to forgive, we lock ourselves in prison. I don't know how you respond when you've been hurt. This is how I do it. I go off by myself, I start pacing back and forth, and my mind goes 100 miles a minute, and I'm having imaginary conversations, okay? I'm thinking about imaginary things I wanna do, things to say and do that will hurt the other person back, right? That'll get a piece of the back, so make things even. Now, I don't know how you respond, 
Maybe some of you pretend you're not hurt and you just shut yourself down. Maybe some of you lash out at other people. I don't know. But whatever it is, it's a dark, dark place. It is a dark, dark place to be. And when we don't forgive, when we hang on to that grudge, <laughs> now, you know, sometimes I feel like when we're holding on to a grudge, it feels like maybe I can hurt him with my grudge or her. I can hurt that person. I have some leverage over that person. But you know really what we're doing, right? We're locking ourselves in that dark, dark place. That's me. Maybe that's only me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe some of you, when you hold on to a grudge, it makes you happy. <laughs> Somehow I doubt it. Some of you are thinking, Charles, you have no idea what I've been through. The things that were done to me, you have no clue. It is impossible to forgive. And I would say to you, you know, you're most likely right. I don't know what you went through, and I don't know what you're going through, but we have a God who does. Jesus gets it. Luke 23. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I want to make sure we understand this passage properly, because sometimes when we read stories about Jesus, we can have that kind of weird reaction where we think, you know, Jesus is just too perfect, right? Like he, he just one-ups us. He comes to become a human, lives a sinless life. You know, hey, look how easy that is, right? You know, look at that. Why can't you guys do that, right? I'm hanging on a cross, barely able to breathe, and I'm forgiving people. What's wrong with y'all? That is not what Jesus is doing. That is not where the passage is about. Jesus comes to earth to identify with us. He becomes human to experience what it's like living as broken people living in a broken world. Some of us struggle with our families, our friends, our, our, our siblings, our parents. Oh, those are hard to get over, aren't they? Jesus gets it. Jesus had a strained relationship with his family. His mom, his brothers, they thought he was crazy. They thought he was out of his mind. Some of us, we have friends, people we thought were friends, who betrayed us. Oh, Jesus gets this one. Jesus gets it. For three years, he lived with 12 guys. They did life together. They ministered together. They did everything together. But when push came to shove, one of them sold him out for money. And his best friend, his closest friend, said, I don't know this guy. Never met him before in my life. Can you imagine how much that hurts? Imagine how much that hurts. Many of us, we have, in our past experiences, we've been made fun of, ridiculed, laughed at by people, in front of people, shamed. Jesus gets it. He was accused falsely, put on a trial at a kangaroo court. He was in a crowd of people, jeered, mocked, laughed at. Some of us have been physically assaulted. Our bodies violated. And Jesus gets it. His skin, his muscles were ripped open by whips. His body's violated, punctured, nails puncturing his hands, his legs a spear thrust into his ribs. 
Jesus gets what it's like to be vulnerable, to be hurt, to be injured, to be betrayed, to be abandoned, to be violated. Jesus gets what we have gone through, and he gets what we are going through. Look, people, we have a God who gets it, who really gets it. He knows our anger. He feels our resentment. He knows precisely how hard it is to give up on the idea of getting even, of making it right. He knows. And what he wants desperately for us is to free us from going down that dead-end path that leads nowhere except prison. So Jesus says, forgive, forgive, forgive. In a couple of minutes, I'm, I'm going to step off and the venue pastor will lead us into a time of prayer and contemplation. And to prepare us for that time, I want to remind us again about what is forgiveness and what it is not. You want to have that in mind as we go through the time of contemplation. Forgiveness, when people hurt us, that's wrong. We have a moral right to be angry, to feel resentment. And forgiveness is a decision to willingly give up the right to feel anger and resentment and to instead offer compassion. Forgiveness is an act of mercy. And forgiveness does not condemn what, ha- what happened. It was wrong, it is wrong, it will always be wrong. It does not mean forgetting. We don't live in a fantasy world. Forgiveness does not mean trust. Trust is earned. Forgiveness does not mean no consequences. Forgiveness does not have to mean reconciliation. You can forgive without being in relationship with that person. Forgiveness is not bargaining or negotiation. It's our choice, our decision, not dependent on the person who hurt us. Forgiveness is canceling the debt because God has freed us and he wants us to live a life transformed by his mercy. I'm gonna ask the worship team um, to come up as they prepare us into this time of prayer and contemplation. There's two next steps that I would suggest. One is for some of us here, we really need to change how we see God. I mean, I think, I think we know, know it here, but we don't experience it here. We don't experience grace. We don't experience mercy. We don't experience forgiveness. We need that. So we pray to God. Ask God to help you experience grace. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you who God truly is. And second step, I think that's for most of us. There's somebody we should be forgiving. Okay? And if you just quiet your thoughts, that person's name will pop to mind. And um, I didn't have a chance to get into this at all, but forgiveness is not a single one-moment event. It's a process. For some people, it takes years. However, the process begins with that initial decision to give up anger and resentment. And that, making that decision to forgive is what I'm inviting you to do today.